0: Oh, hello, Kentucky, Utah.
1: Fried chicken.
0: All right, we're recording.
1: Okay.
0: All right, we're recording live on the mic, baby.
1: Um, hello everyone. Part two. It's part two, and as you could see, you didn't get an episode last week because I'm releasing the two parts all at once. So you get two episodes this week.
0: Two for the price of one, baby. And I
1: announced it on Instagram. So okay,
0: follow on the Instagram. Go do it.
1: Yeah. Then you would you not be aware, us. and you probably think I quit the podcast forever. And yeah. Anyway, this is Spooky Show, Spooky Show, in the History of the Universe ever life created in the history. I'm your host, Kate. I'm so scared. Harrison's here, hey,, how you doing? Um, I've been a little under the weather, so if I sound a little congested, that is why. but we're gonna do our best. Why? I was sick.
0: I. sorry to hear that.
1: <laughs> Harrison acted like he doesn't know. <laughs> like I wasn't I'm trying to be a monster. Like I'm supposed to be on the patient, show. like you're fine. Well, I couldn't really talk or move, so yeah, it wasn't that bad.
0: Frankly, ideal. <laughs> Harrison
1: brought me soup. He's so sweet. I'm
0: so super. He filled
1: up my water bottle. It
0: was pretty super of me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we gotta applaud our our boyfriends for doing the least. <laughs>
0: so true <laughs> applaud me for doing yes go off I'm give kidding, us the absolute bare minimum thank paraminim. you thank
1: you thank you Thank you. okay lizzie Borden part two let's get into it this one's going to be way shorter than the first part so part,
0: part two part two
1: where we left off yeah your, part
0: one was an hour and 15 minutes right? i know
1: harrison was like can was we like, wrap this up hell god damn yeah i didn't split it that evenly Hey, yeah. My bad. So, <laughs> this one's going to be a little shorter. Um, so, where we left off, it was the day of Andrew and Abby's funeral. The mayor goes to the board and home and he says to Lizzie and Emma that they need to stay inside, avoid the public guy. We don't need any hu- hubbub going on in town.
0: Hullabaloo. Hub- That's
1: what I was looking for.
0: <laughs> hullabub. I'm like, what the fuck is hullabub? <laughs> So Lizzie. Like a dish.
1: It does. Can I have the hullabub? Lizzie asks the mayor, like, is anyone in the household a suspect in in the murders? And he's... they're like, we didn't
0: even consider it a murder.
1: <laughs> yeah, the axe to the head? What do you mean? So he kind of tries to avoid answering that question, but Lizzie kind of pushes him and he's like yeah lizzie you're a suspect (laughs) so she says well i'm ready to go at any time she's like lock me up then this woman i swear yeah she's wild so the bordens andrew and abby they were killed on a thursday and alice lizzie's friend stayed there until the following monday and on monday morning she got up, ate breakfast, left the house to run some errands, and got back around noon. And when she did, Lizzie and Emma were both in the kitchen. And Emma was standing by the sink. And Lizzie was by the uh, wood-burning fireplace. And she was like, she had some kind of, like, blue fabric in her hands. And she was ripping it up and throwing it into the fire. Hmm. And Emma was like, Lizzie, what are you doing? And Lizzie was like, oh, I'm just burning this old, th- old thing. It's got paint all over it. Oh. Okay. So she said she she was wearing this dress and she like rubbed up on some paint drawing on a wall. You know how you do. Or something. So Alice is like.
0: This happens to be blood red.
1: (laughs) I don't think it, I don't know if it was, but Alice is like, well, this looks bad. She's like, this doesn't look great. Leaves the kitchen. And later she comes back and Lizzie is still tearing up this dress and putting it into the fire. So Alice says, I wouldn't let anyone see me do that if I were you. And, like, Lizzie just didn't respond. So that same day, the, the police returned to the and home for another search, and they searched the house again very thoroughly, the barn, the attic, the cellar. And they had already taken from the house prior two axes and a hatchet. But they were looking for something else because none of those things had blood or any, like, evidence on them. And so in this search, they did find part of a hatchet. And this hatchet had its wooden handle just, like, snapped off of it. And it was, like, jagged. Like, someone literally just broke it in two. And the blade also had some sort of, like, ashy white substance on both sides. So it looked kind of old. But the tools in the other box they found, they found it in, didn't look old or have that, like, white stuff on it. So they took it in as evidence. So while some other officers are searching the house, others are interviewing Alice, Lizzie, and Emma once again. So, police asked Alice if she believed that all the dresses were that were present the day of the murders are still present in the house, and Alice says yes, which we know is a lie. You know,
0: like a liar,
1: <laughs> like a big old liar. And
0: oh, Mulaney Rafa for everybody.
1: Oh, I didn't you even know, pick like up. A liar. I didn't even pick up on it. So, she felt bad telling this lie. And later, she went to Lizzie and Emma and told them, like, she's like, I don't feel comfortable with the fact that I just lied to the I ain't police. I comfortable lying. And she said she was afraid. And Lizzie was like, well, why didn't you tell me not to burn the dress?
0: <laughs> because I shouldn't so have to tell wild. you not to burn criminal and also evidence, she did you sa- damn weirdo. She
1: said to her, I wouldn't let anyone see me doing that if I were you. Like, she kind of did. So then Emma said to Alice, like, we agree. Yeah. I'm shorty, okay. yeah. Wild. So Alice, um, Emma says to Alice, like, you know what? Like, we agree. You should tell the police what you know, because Lizzie didn't do anything. Like, we're not worried. It's fine. And something to note, too, that when the police did their initial search, they didn't see any clothes or anything covered in splattered paint. And they would have, like, noticed that because they were looking for blood, you know? So Alice did eventually fess up to the police about, like, what she saw Lizzie burning the dress. But the police were like, ah, that's great, but we have enough to arrest Lizzie anyway, (laughs) so we don't really care. They didn't yet, though. First, they held an inquest from August 9th to August 11th, which is basically a hearing to determine if there's enough evidence to put Lizzie on trial. Yeah. So during this inquest, several people are questioned, including Bridget, the maid, John Morse, um was it the
0: maid the uncle was it the uncle
1: and lizzie herself
0: or was it the very lizzie
1: so one of the first people to testify was bridget she had a very clear timeline which we went over in part one her story never changed she knew where she was she knew what she was doing she never wavered her her story stayed the same so the police knew that she was they're like she's probably telling the truth And John Moores also had a very detailed and specific alibi about what he was doing that day, and it was, like, airtight. Like, some do say he was too detailed, though. Like, he knew the bus number he took and everyone he Mm. talked to, but I don't think—oh, sorry, I hit the mic. But I don't think—this is weird. I think he genuinely had nothing to do with it. So now the medical examiner said that Abby Borden died between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m., but most likely between 9 and 9.30, and that Andrew Borden had died nearly an hour and a half later. Now, since Bridget's timeline and everything was so airtight and never wavering, they immediately wanted to talk to Lizzie to see if hers matched up. So she was questioned by the district attorney, and the first question he asks is, like, okay, tell me what happened that morning. They wanted to see if, like, her story changed from the first time she was questioned and if it matched with Bridget's, you know? Yeah. Lo and behold, her story doesn't match up with Bridget's or the original story she told the police. What? She said she had woken up uh, last in the house. And by the time she came downstairs, everyone had eaten breakfast and Bridget was dusting, which is so far so good. Then she says she couldn't remember if she had eaten breakfast that morning because she was feeling a little sick the night before. Which I think it, it's only been five days since the murders and she can't remember like if she ate breakfast on the day her father was murdered, like, I don't know, wouldn't you remember? Like, (laughs) that. I think
0: so. I certainly think so. Yeah.
1: She then said that Andrew came down from his room, went into town, and the three women just went about their day and their chores. She said she took out an ironing board and set it up on the table, and she put the irons on the stove to heat up. But Bridget had said earlier that Lizzie didn't take out the ironing board until Andrew got home. So. That's one inconsistency. And then when they asked her how long the task of like, like, how long did it take you to take, take out the ironing board and put the irons on the stove and like get them hot? Like, how long did that take you? Yeah. She said, I don't know.
0: She said she didn't know. Okay.
1: <laughs> so. Suspect. So this was her opportunity. Literally, she had the perfect opportunity to provide an alibi since this is around the time when Abby was most likely killed. Like. Right. Right. So, between 9 and, 9 and 10 a.m., the best she can say is that she took out the ironing boards, took out the irons, put them on the stove to heat up, and she doesn't know how long this task took or how long she was doing it for. So, she has, like, no awareness of where she was from 9 to 9.30.
0: What the fuck?
1: So, on top of that, the only two people in the house at, at this time would have been Abby and Lizzie because Bridget was outside washing the windows. Many people saw her doing this during this time. Like, we talked about this in part one. And then the district attorney asked Lizzie, like, where were you when Andrew got back home that morning? Which was at, like, 1045 a.m. Around an hour and 45 minutes after he left. She said she was in the kitchen reading a magazine before she went out to the barn. So this leaves her from about 9.45 until 10.45 sitting in the kitchen waiting for the irons to heat up and reading a magazine. This also contradicts what Bridget said about Lizzie being upstairs and laughing when she uh, heard her when her father couldn't get into the house. Which we talked about in part one. Yeah, like right. Yeah. And if Lizzie was upstairs, which like I'm sure she was because I don't know why Bridget would lie at this point. She was upstairs with Abby, and her room was right next to the guest room that Abby had, be- had been killed in. So she would have seen Abby's, like, dead body lying in the guest room. So when the district attorney asked her if she was sure that she had been in the kitchen when Andrew got home, Lizzie said, I'm not sure if I was in the kitchen or the dining room. <laughs> this bitch. So he asked Lizzie if she had been upstairs in her room before her father returned like he's kind of like were you upstairs at all because like bridget's saying you were upstairs right and she, and she said yes i did go up for about 5 minutes to sew some tape onto a garment so he says so you were upstairs when your father got home and she says no <laughs> She <laughs> she really can't keep anything
0: together. This is a mess. So
1: the district she should
0: have written this shit down.
1: <laughs> she should have well she couldn't. It's evidence. So the district attorney then starts to ask about the locks on the doors and why Bridget says Andrew couldn't get in at first and how they worked and stuff. Like he's kind of trying to throw her off. So he starts asking all these intricate questions about the locks, and then he immediately switches back and says, "So you were upstairs when your father got home." And she said she like slips up, I guess, with all these switching gears and says, I'm not sure, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <I'm> not sure. <laughs> so then he asks her, he asks her what were you doing upstairs? And she's like, I already told you I was sewing a bit of tape onto a garment I bought. And I and I brought some clean clothes up to put away, but I came right back down. So then she goes on to say that she was coming down the stairs as Bridget was um, letting her father inside. So she she went from I was in the kitchen when my dad got home to I might have been upstairs to actually I was coming down the stairs. (laughs) So the district attorney was like, you keep changing your story about whether you were upstairs or downstairs when your father got home. Which is it? And she responds. I don't know what I've said. I've answered so many questions as sincerely as I know how. That's such an
0: awesome answer. I've tried as sincerely as I can. And I simply cannot remember anything from my fragile constitution. So
1: she changes her story again. And she's like, okay, no, I'm sure I was downstairs when my dad got home. She also said that the last time she saw her stepmother was when Abby was in the dining room dusting. And at that point, Abby had told her that she'd gotten a note from a sick friend and that she was going to be going out to see her and getting dinner while she was out. Abby asked Lizzie if she wanted anything. Lizzie said no, and that was the last time Lizzie said she saw Abby. Okay. So the district attorney asked Lizzie if she saw Abby go out, and Lizzie said no. And when asked... If she saw Abby at all after this exchange, Lizzie said no. (laughs) Lizzie. Which would have been impossible if Lizzie was in the kitchen at this time, like she said, because Abby would have had to pass Lizzie in the kitchen to leave. So and and like she would have had to go upstairs and change out of her dusting clothes, like she would have been walking around the house, like getting things ready and passing by Lizzie as she was walking out the door. But Mm -hmm. Lizzie said she didn't see her leave. And didn't see her at all after they talked in the morning. Okay. So the district attorney was like, Okay, if you didn't see her leave or at all after this, where did you where did you think she was all this time? And Lizzie said she believed Abby was in the guest bedroom, <laughs> which is the room she died in. She had told Lizzie that she needed to make it up for John that night. So Lizzie figured she was either there or out of the house, or in her own room. So this is getting pretty much nowhere, and Lizzie is making no sense. (laughs) So the district attorney starts to ask Lizzie about the note that Abby received from the sick friend, and he asks Lizzie if she knows where the note is or who wrote it, and Lizzie's like, no. (laughs) Doesn't know. So all in all, she starts to give, like, little to no detail as the questions continue, and police determine that um, it would have been... After this, they're like, okay, it would have been pretty much impossible for an intruder to come in and kill Andrew and Abby during all of this. Like, the house was always locked up for one, and so much even so that Andrew had a hard time getting in his own house that morning. Also, there was was so much time between when Abby was killed and when Andrew was killed. It was like an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, right, I remember.
1: Right, so the intruder... Would have just had to hang out there for an hour and a half. insane. Unseen. And
0: there were other people in the house.
1: Yeah. Lizzie's in the house. And Bridget, she's like, you know, walking around outside, washing the windows, washing the windows inside. Like, she would have seen something. So, also not to mention, like, Andrew didn't typically come home at that time in the morning. He only did it because he wasn't feeling well. So, if the target, like, was Abby and Andrew, which we could assume if they, like, in the house for half an hour without killing anyone else, you know, like, right. They would have killed. Why didn't they kill Lizzie? One could only assume. Yeah. How would they know that he was going to be home that afternoon? And nothing was taken. Like there was nothing was taken. Nothing was disturbed. And the intruder would have also had to leave from the back door since the front door remained locked. So if Lizzie was in the barn staring out the window, like she said, she would have seen someone leaving from that back door. And she said she saw nothing. This bitch.
0: She's a damn mess.
1: I know. Also, Lizzie was the only person, the only person who said that Andrew had all these enemies that we talked okay. about earlier. Like, people in town didn't seem to have a big problem with him. And she was the only one who mentioned he had any enemies at all. Yeah, right. I like, remember Like, trying that to plant too. that seed. And, like... She has motive, too. Like, in part one, we talked about how Andrew was kind of, like, stingy with his money and how Lizzie wanted to live on the hill and live the fancy life. And in the case of Abby and Andrew's death, all of Andrew's money would go to Lizzie and Emma. It's, like, a clear motive. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so on the last day of and like
0: the motive for, like, most— Yeah. Interfamilial murders. <laughs>
1: money baby yeah exactly <laughs> so the last day of the inquest august 11th lizzie um she was arrested on two counts of murder she didn't bat an eye she didn't give a hoot and she was booked and sent to taunton jail in a nearby she town a hoot. she didn't give a hoot so when she was behind bars she kind of had a breakdown like she was kind of being strong and tough and whatever through it all but She began sobbing and hyperventilating and whatnot, but, you know, don't worry, because with the massive amount of money that had just been transferred to her sister's name, they hired excellent lawyers, (laughs) Um, Andrew Jackson Jennings, Melvin Ohio Adams, and George Dexter Robinson. And George was actually once the governor of Massachusetts, actually. <laughs> so oh,
0: that's a pretty fun fact.
1: They got the best of the best.
0: Yeah, the very creme de la creme.
1: So the trial didn't start until almost a year later, June of 1893. And now the prosecution, sadly, wasn't allowed to use anything from the inquest in this case. So all those contradictions and confusing stories Lizzie was putting forth cannot be used in this trial. This is because Lizzie had been dosed with high levels of morphine. Uh, Whoa. Since the day her father died. Whoa. Right, at the hands of that doctor from across the street. What the fuck? Apparently on the day of the inquest, she had a higher dose because she was stressed about it. So her statement from the inquest was just thrown out. So all those inconsistencies, (laughs) like they they can't even be talked about. They also had to throw out any testimony from that pharmacist Lizzie tried to buy that acid from that we talked about. And this was thrown out because the Bordens had been axed to death and not poisoned. So they're like, this is not, right, nothing, to with, yeah, has nothing to do with it. Yeah, this has nothing to do with this. So many people took the stand. Um, Alice, the doctor, Mrs. Churchill, and the um, matron from the jail where Lizzie had been held until her trial. Because... This woman, Hannah Reagan, um, testified that while Lizzie was staying in the jail. Her sister Emma visited her, and she overheard like a heated conversation between the two of them. And apparently, like Lizzie said to Emma, "Emma, you gave me away, haven't you?" And Emma, gave me
0: away, haven't you?"
1: And Emma was like, "No, Lizzie." <laughs> to which Lizzie replied, "You have, and I will let you see. I won't give in one inch.":
0: I won't give in one inch.
1: <clears throat> one inch."
0: Not even once.
1: So, Doctor Edward S. Woods, a blood stain and poison expert from Harvard, just like a weird combo. uh,
0: I'm really an expert in stains related to blood and poison. (laughs)
1: And poison. So he testified about the contents of the stomachs of Abby and Andrew that day, and he said Abby had about 11 ounces of partially digested food and liquid inside her stomach. So this showed her last meal had been about two to three hours prior to her death. And Andrew's stomach contents showed that the digestion process was further advanced, with most of the food already being disposed into the intestine. So that Ah. suggested his last meal was about three and a half to four and a half hours before his death. And contents of their stomach showed no signs of poison. So Ah. do with that information what you will. Sweeties. A claw hammer, two axes, and the broken hatchet had been tested for blood and, like, other evidence, and there was no signs of anything on those. The only blood that was found on the was um on the underskirt that Lizzie had given the police, and it was about six inches up from the bottom, and it was, like, so small. And it, it was determined to be human blood, but, like, they kind of didn't really do anything about this. They were just, like... It's so small. It wasn't, like, a lot of blood. It was just, like, a drop. Yeah. The defense did cross-examine Dr. Woods and asked if it could be menstrual blood. <laughs> and Dr. Woods was like, yeah, I guess. Um, he also said that all traces of blood could have been washed off these instruments, like, these possible murder weapons, because they still don't know. Like, yeah. they don't have a murder weapon. Um, And... He was like, Yeah, but it would have taken much more like a deep and thorough cleansing. It could have been with cold water, but like not very quickly because there were a lot of angles and grooves on these weapons and blood would have settled in like these tiny crevices. And if it's a wood handled hatchet, it would have like absorbed it.
0: Yeah. It would have. So, yeah, wood would have been messed up by that.
1: But that one hatchet was in half, the handle was broken off. Tint, tint. So, this also could be why maybe Lizzie did. Like when she went into the cellar and stood by the sink for a while, as we discussed in part one, and was like, looked like she was washing something. So, yeah, this led the defense to suggest that maybe the handle on that one hatchet was broken because there was blood on that handle and the person who broke it was trying to get rid of it. So they thought it was easier to just like break it off rather than try to clean it. The defense closed by basically saying that Lizzie had no motive to do this, and the wounds on Abby and Andrew showed that it was someone who had to have been stronger than Lizzie and, like, proficient with an She's just a, a small hatchet. bean. Yeah, like, she's just a woman. Lizzie like, is
0: just a small Lizzie bean.
1: I think it was also, like, she's a lady, you know? Yeah. Women are all capable of this. She's just a poor yeah, woman. Yeah, of
0: course, of course. Um, Which, like, how many women do you think got away with murder in the past because of that? Like in the olden days.
1: True. I'm not saying they had it made or anything. Cause, no, 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 like... no,
0: no, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on.
1: Um, if anybody
0: wants to be disingenuous like that, you come on.
1: You know they... I didn't mean that. <laughs> they like. <laughs> held, come on. Held a fork wrong and they were witches. Um Yeah. They also said that there were two witnesses who saw Lizzie leaving the barn at 11:03 a.m. when she said she was leaving the barn which gave her an alibi of being in the barn where she said she was. Um, Also, the murder weapon had never been found. Ever, ever. So there was no physical evidence that you could find or or point to that put Lizzie at fault for these murders. Which is true. Like, there is none. Yeah. So I can't, can't blame them there. The prosecution, though, spoke to Bridget's testimony and how it was pretty obvious that every time... Bridget left Lizzie alone. Somebody died. Like, Bridget was outside cleaning the windows. Abby died. Bridget went upstairs to lay down for a bit. Andrew died. They also spoke about the note calling Abby away to visit a sick friend and that it had never been found. Ever. The only proof that it existed was Lizzie saying it did. They put, They even, like, they put an ad in the paper offering $5,000 at that time for anyone that could come forward about this note, like you know, maybe the person who sent it, or the sick, like the sick friend, or the messenger, mm-hmm. and nobody did. Weird. What the
0: freaking f?
1: The prosecution was like, and she does have motive. She hated Abby, which she made clear to everyone, and she hated how her father like spent or didn't spend his money, so she killed them. Ye- but the defense had another trick up their sleeve. Not only was the jury made of like 12 men who were like, oh, poor Lizzie Borden having to sit poor through this.
0: sweet Lizzie Borden. But
1: Justice Justin Dewey, one of the judges who was Ooh, presiding say over Say that one more again.
0: <laughs> Justin Justice, Justice Dewey?
1: Justice Justin Dewey.
0: Justice Justin Dewey.
1: One of the Just judges. Justin
0: Dewey.
1: He's one of the judges who's presiding over the trial and who could decide what evidence was allowed, it, allowed in and wasn't was appointed to the bench by George Dexter Robinson, the one who served George as governor Costanza. of Massachusetts
0: oh. and now <laughs> served as
1: Lizzie's head attorney, which seems a little sketchy, don't you think? Yes. Anyway, the jury deliberated for about 90 minutes and came back... Giving Lizzie Borden or not guilty verdict. People in Fall River were shocked. And they were even more shocked when Lizzie decided she wasn't going to leave town. Yeah. <laughs> she was going to stay in Fall River, which was wild because right after she was acquitted, a book came out by an author who believed Lizzie was guilty as hell. A book
0: by an author?
1: I, I have the name. I just <laughs> feel like I know. It's just funny it. to
0: say a book by an author as <laughs> yeah. opposed to the books not by authors shut up
1: (laughs) okay yeah this book came out and the the guy who wrote this book believed lizzie was guilty as hell and it was selling like crazy around the town so people who once believed lizzie and stayed friendly with her like now shunned her and even like the christian society that she played a major role in as the secretary and treasurer of they basically dropped her and ignored her Hmm. Any visitor who came into town would try to visit like the Lizzie Borden home and stand and they would stand outside and take pictures. So between like the gossip and all these like looky loos, Lizzie and Emma were like, "Okay, we got to get out of this house. So on August 10th. Hey, happy
0: birthday to me. (laughs) 1893.
1: Three weeks after her acquittal, Lizzie Borden finally got her dream house in the hill. Lizzie and Emma purchased a mansion at 7 French Street for $13,000. <laughs> the new high society neighbors weren't that happy to see the boarding girls move in. They didn't want the media, like the people following her into that neighborhood, or they didn't want a suspected murderer in there. I don't know. On May 6, 1899, six years after her acquittal, Lizzie made a report to the police station saying that some kids were throwing gravel at her windows. In 1902, some kids trampled through her yard and her gardens and they threw rotten eggs at her house. And they would like ring her doorbell late at night. And apparently, every Halloween, the kids would like all pull straws and the loser had to go ring the doorbell at Lizzie Borden's house. So, like, she was being like tortured. But she still wanted to stay in this town. Yeah. And then there was the kids' jump rope song um, that did come out when Lizzie was still alive. So she would have to walk through the streets hearing kids just like singing along singing to that. Yeah. So in 1905, she did change her name to Lizbeth. Uh, I mean, that everyone knew who she was. I think it was maybe more Elizabeth of like Berger. a. Lizzie <laughs>
0: Berger. <laughs> she changed her name to Lizzie Denden.
1: I guess it was just Lizzie for herself, like, I'm starting it. Uh, I'm a new. And for almost 12 years, it was just Lizzie and Emma in that home. And Emma, she didn't mind this. She was introverted. She liked to, like, stay home with her sister. But Lizzie was more outgoing and wanted to get out and meet new people and, like, see things and go to those fancy parties and go to the theater and everything.
0: Go to the same home.
1: Particularly, she wanted to go to a party in Boston and she did. And at one party in particular, she met a woman named Nance O'Neill. Nance O'Neill was an actress on the stage and on, on in the pictures. And Lizzie was a big fan of hers because Lizzie spent a lot of time at the theater. And so when they met, they like instantly became friends and Lizzie obviously thought highly of Nance because she wanted to be seen rubbing elbows with big wigs like all along. But Nance thought just as highly of Lizzie, honestly. So in 1905, Lizzie was like stoked to have a friend like Nance and to um, she wanted to show her off to the people at Fall River. So Lizzie threw a party for Nance O'Neill at their new home in the hill. And the town was like, we're not impressed <laughs> because at this time, actresses were no better than like sex workers in this conservative town. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Back then. So then there were a lot of rumors going around that the friendship between Nance and Lizzie was more than a friendship. Scandalous. Dang. And Emma also disapproved of this friendship between Nance and Lizzie. So in 1905, Emma Borden moved out of the home and Lizzie paid Emma $150 every month for use and o- occupancy of the home. And they never saw each other or spoke to each other ever again. Wow. Which is weird. Like, what happened there? They were obsessed with each other, mm-hmm. they were besties. And then. Yeah, that's kind of weird. So, I don't know. Apparently. There were things going on in that home that Emma couldn't handle anymore because, like, she gave an interview in 1913 and she said that she was like, Happenings at the French Street house that caused me to leave, I must refuse to talk about. I did not go until the conditions became unbearable. Like, Hmm. what was happening? Yeah, I don't know. Emma never said anything more and she did go to her grave, insisting Lizzie was innocent of the murder, so... If Lizzie did kill her parents and Emma knew about it, she never told anyone. And also the friendship between Nance and Lizzie ended two years after that party. So
0: Dang. <laughs> I don't know
1: what happened. But Lizzie continued to travel. She would stay in four-star hotels. She would go to the theater and everything. And at home, um, she hired a very close group of servants that became her friends and family. Uh-huh. Uh, the most notable of which being her driver, Ernest Terry, in early... 1926 Lizzie started getting sick and she died at home surrounded by her close friends and servants on June 1st 1927 which is a month before her 67th birthday and her sister Emma like wasn't there but she died just nine days later at her home in her own bed which is pretty wild that is and at the time of her death Lizzie Borden was worth five million dollars in today's money and about three hundred thousand then And in her will, she left the city of Fall River about $500 to continue maintaining, like, her dad's grave. She left $3,000 for the housekeeper and each one of her servants. She left the Fall River Animal Rescue League $30,000. She loved animals. She left $2,000 to her driver, another $2,000 to his daughter, and another $2,000 to his wife. She also left Ernest Harry a plot of land west of her home. Home and she left a man named Charles Cook, who was the financial advisor to her and Emma, $10,000. And that's it. Lizzie Bobo. Guilty or innocent? Guilty. <laughs> what makes you think so?
0: Lying. The seat. <laughs> the fact that she was basically just pulling one of the silliest ruses of all time, which is just like, hey, could you go in another room? And then <laughs> <like> somebody. <laughs>
1: The fact that they're hey, like it must have been in an room? intruder. Like, hey, could you go
0: in another room real quick? Just hold on one second. Oh my God! Somebody <laughs> died. You know, like that is so insane that she just thing, kept being like, "All right, now go take a nap."
1: The thing, oh, somebody's passed away violently, and another one an hour later. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: But the thing that makes me question is the fact that no one ever saw her like covered in blood. You know, like. I mean that's a
0: pretty one. I don't know. That's like one pretty small. Oh, we didn't see her like with blood on her. But how did
1: she do it so fast? It was the period. Johnny, our roommate's asking about the period garments. They were. It was like the smallest drop of blood they found. But like, I mean, she was burning that dress. Yeah, but I don't like Emma and Alice never said they saw blood all over it. But. Like,
0: but also like,
1: shower. Like, it had to be all over her face. I don't know. Who's to say? That's what. That's the only thing that gets me. But like, I do think it was her. Yeah,
0: I just think like it makes more sense that she did it than it does not making sense about her not being covered in blood. You know what I'm saying? Like, it makes more sense that she did it than it does that she wouldn't have been covered in blood.
1: Yeah, I mean, but there is no physical evidence, so I can see why she was not guilty. And it's not like she got got out of jail and was like going on murderous rampages like she was just living so but um the house that all this happened in is a bed and breakfast now
0: oh cool that would be bed and
1: breakfast we can go to massachusetts and stay there that would be cool i think so i started i did this at first i wanted it to be a, a paranormal episode about that bed and breakfast But I figured I couldn't do that unless we told this story first. So maybe next week we'll do paranormal about this, and it'll just be a Lizzie Borden extravaganza.
0: Sounds cool to me. Yeah,
1: we'll do a paranormal about the bed and breakfast.
0: Rock and roll, All
1: right, everyone. I'm going to go rest. (laughs) My voice.
0: What else do you have to say?
1: I don't think anything. All right. Follow the show on Instagram, Spooky Show Pod. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can write. It's a beautiful thing. Harrison?
0: Um, fall Baseball on Spotify. New song on Friday.
1: <laughs> okay. And um, have the best week of your entire life. Ever!